So we're just going to read uh, from James. Actually, you've been sitting for a while, so why don't we just stand, if you don't mind, and we'll read God's word. James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, they should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not think they will receive anything from the Lord. They are double-minded, unstable in all they do. The person in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in their low position, because they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich person will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because when they have stood the test, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by their own evil desire they are dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good gift is from above, from the coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he has created. You may have a seat. So uh, James is an amazing book and uh, Guy introduced us to it last Sunday. If you weren't there and haven't managed to catch the podcast, which I highly recommend, um, let me just run through some of the highlights. So the writer of the book of James was, well, you probably guessed it, James. But there was a a few James in the Bible. Um, Scholars aren't 100% agreed, but most believe it was written by the brother of Jesus, or the half-brother of Jesus, also known as James the Just or James the Righteous. And he also led the church in Jerusalem. Who was James written to? Well, in the introduction, he says, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. So it was the Jews scattered across the world. And it's God's people. James refers to his audience as brothers and sisters. Why did he write? Well, Guy used the image of peeling a banana differently. Can anyone tell me, has anyone tried peeling the banana the way guys? Put your hands up if you tried. That is quite a lot of people. It doesn't work. I gave it a go last night and and it just, the end just squished up. It, it It didn't work so much. But, but, James wanted to help these Jews do things differently. He wanted to tell them that true faith works. So if the message of Romans is that we're saved by faith alone, not works, which which it is, then James tells us that true faith works. 
Uh, Martin Luther, as Guy said, didn't particularly like the book of James. He called it a right strawy epistle. But rather than contradict the message of salvation by through faith alone, James, I believe, complements it and explains it. James is a very active book. Um, it's very practical. It's about authenticity, which I think should resonate with us as a church. It's about doing as well as believing. And James presses this point home again and again. James wants to help his audience, so the Jews in the first century, but us right now, grow into Christian maturity. And spiritual maturity is a key theme through the book of James. I'm sure we'll come across that again and again in the coming weeks as we go through this book. So James starts with his introduction. He then goes straight into quite a challenging piece on facing trials. As Guy said, he assumed we would have trials. Uh, And the first passage, again, as Guy told us, is not how to get out of trials, which I would kind of like. I don't know if you're like me. I would have much rather have James tell me how to get out of trials, or even better, how to avoid trials in the first place. I'd rather just not go through them. But but James James doesn't do that. He tells us how to get through trials. He tells us to approach trials with an attitude of joy. He explains why testing is needed and what it does for us. It helps us grow up in our faith. Trials plus, plus perseverance helps us develop spiritual muscles and we grow into maturity. And James talks about God's role in providing wisdom and our job to ask for it with a believing heart. He reiterates the need for perseverance, God's gift of life for those who loves him. And he finishes that section with an amazing beatitude. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So I want to take a little bit of a pause here because we've actually got somebody in our church family who has persevered under difficulty. And God very recently did something amazing for him. So Nick, would you just come up and um, tell us just what has God done for you over the last little while? Uh, I've had to write this down, otherwise I'll lose the thread, so excuse me if I read it to you. This has been quite a week. On Monday, I went to healing hour, which I have done over the last two and a half years. And like many times, I wasn't sure what to expect. And God miraculously healed me, completely to my surprise. Then on Wednesday morning... I was sitting at home watching Joseph Prince on television and he was talking about healing and he said, stand up and praise God for your healing. So I was standing up praising God, hoping that my shoulder, which is injured, would be healed. And what I didn't realise was that in praising God for my healing, I was praising him for the healing that had happened on Monday and he healed my heart. Mm. I had this amazing revelation that I have never had since I've been walking with Jesus how much he loved me and what his death meant. And I was just in a daze for the rest of the day. I was walking around just praising God all the time. It was incredible. And it was, I was so transported. I said to Dave, I'd like to share with you. And then uh, the next day, on Thursday, it went spectacularly wrong. Um, I was at work and I was delivering for Waitrose and 
it was it was so bad and I had a van which is really hard to work with and it, so I finished work an hour and a half late and I was just so angry and I was unloading the van uh, talk about throwing your toys off the pram I was chucking the empty crates off the van into the yard and I was cursing and swearing I was so angry so when I got home I thought I can't tell Dave and, and all of you that I've been here because I had this spectacular meltdown and then the next morning Friday morning I woke up and the sun was shining and I realised I was still healed um, I have to read this bit because it's a bit difficult to remember so when I was young the, what happened when I was very young I had a traumatic experience of abuse and it was so bad that I suffered depression for 50 years and the reason it was so long was because I didn't want to be well because I hated myself so badly inside as a result of what had happened that I just wanted to not be not be well but Jesus never let go mm. and in October 2017 Romy suggested I come to the healing hour session so I went along not expecting anything to happen and God healed me of depression completely but I still had this detested self-image and so part of me even then still didn't want to be well even though I discovered what it was like not to have to battle every day to survive and what it was like not living with a raging storm going on so I kept going to a healing hour and um, then on Monday I went along as usual and Jack had a word for me and he, God said, I, I, the God of the impossible, will do the impossible. Mm-hmm. And I will scale the insurmountable wall. And I thought, well, isn't that lovely? <laughs> <laughs> one day, one day I will be free. Because it just seemed impossible. You know, I'd been healed of depression. I no longer had depression, which I had had many, many times a month. And sometimes it was so bad that I was just like a zombie. I was all right on the outside, but inside I was just rigid and wanting just to die. But on the way home from the healing hour, I felt this shaking in my spirit. And I suddenly realised that God had taken away this detested, horrible self-image that I had and he'd replaced it. Mm-hmm. And that I was free. So it's, you know, it's taken over 50 years. But why I wanted to come and testify to you is... If you are somewhere between the promise that God has made to you and the deliverance and you think this is never going to happen, just stand on the word and keep declaring out and it will happen. God is always slow but he's never late. (laughs) So praise God. Thank you Nick.
Just one question. What would you say to anybody here who is looking for breakthrough and, and hasn't, hasn't found it yet? I remember Joyce Mayer saying something on a program recently that it's very easy when you set out because you've had this word. And in 2002, God said to me, I will restore the years the locusts have eaten. But nothing seemed to be happening. And day after day, I just kept on plodding on. And the end is great. You're free. It's the middle bit that mm. is hard. But God never let go of me. Jesus never let go. Yeah. And so if you are in that place where you are waiting for deliverance, stand on the word. Keep declaring out. It's when you speak out that amazing things happen. It's the declaring of the word. So speak out in faith for the healing that you're waiting for that hasn't happened because God is out of time. So when you speak out for the healing, he works and aligns the facts. And I've had this in other things in my life. You discover, suddenly one day you discover that it's happened. Mm. So just stand firm. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Nick. Can you just stay here? Maybe Jack can come up as well. So, Because I, I think when God does something like this, it reminds us that his power is available, um, that he can do the same for us. Father, we thank you for what you've done in Nick's life. We thank you for the breakthrough that you've brought for him. Father, we thank you that, that he just feels like a new man. Thank you for the joy that you've deposited in his life. Thank you for the faith that you've deposited in his life. God, thank you for what you're speaking to us and telling us that you are available. You, you can do the same for us. God, as we've just been reading in James about perseverance, help us to persevere in trials. Help us to stay connected to you. Help us to look continually to you for deliverance. Help us to stand on your promises. Thank you, Jesus, that all your promises are yes and amen to us as believers. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So um, let's uh, just continue in James. Um, so once again, I think I've got the, the difficult bit. Um, you know, I love the first passage there um, that, that, we, that we read, sort of verses 2 through to verse 12. Um, and I love actually the next bit even more. Um, I spent, when I was about 14 or 15 years old, I spent a week up in Capenry. Uh, anybody been to Capenry Hall? A few of you? Yeah, a Bible college up in, in um, Lancaster or uh, in the Lake District. It's beautiful. Um, and we had a guy called Frank the Yank that spoke to us about James and took us through the letter of James. I'm not sure what his surname was. He was American, so we, we called him Frank the Yank. And he used to say, quick for listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And it's one of the things that's stuck with me ever since. Um, but I've, I've instead got the bit about temptations. So we'll, I just want to say five things about uh, temptations. Um, the first thing in verse 13, James says, when tempted. And just the same as uh, earlier when he assumed there were going to be tests and trials, he's assumed that there's going to be temptations too. He assumes that. 
And actually, in Greek, the, um, the, the, the both uh, the word for t- trials and the word for, for temptations are the one word, uh, periazo, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. So it can mean either test or tempt, and the context determines what sense is intended. So Matthew 4, verse 1 um, we read that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, tempted by the devil. So that was clearly temptation. The devil was trying to throw him off course. Um, but then Matthew 19, uh, verse 3, we read some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? So that was kind of more of a test. Um, and in a sense, actually, the word can can be both. Um, maybe that that sen- sense for Jesus was both a, a test, sort of, and a, a temptation as well. A test can be a temptation if we respond to it in the wrong way. And actually, a temptation can be positive. We can build our spiritual muscles if we respond to it in the right the right way. Remember how Jesus taught us to pray, Matthew chapter six, and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one so we pray protection from temptation i remember when my boys were dedicated uh, back in belfast the, the pastor of belfast city vineyard andy smith um, prayed that they would be protected from temptation and prayed that they would avoid the painful and destructive years of the prodigal But when it comes, when temptation comes, we pray for the Lord's deliverance. Deliver us from the evil one. He is greater than the evil one. He can deliver us. So first thing is temptations will come. Second thing is this. God is good. When we're tempted, James makes it clear that it's not God. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Why? It's because of God's character. He is good. He's, he's not a cosmic killjoy trying to catch out pure humans, poor humans by dangling temptations in front of us. Let's remember what evil actually is. The shorter catechism, as part of the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, asks what is sin? And the answer is, sin is any want, meaning lack, of conformity onto our transgression of the law of God. Sin is by definition going against God's nature. It's being anti-God. So God is love. And sin is going against the way of love. And temptations about encouraging someone to go against the very nature of God. And it breaks his heart. He's not in the business of encouraging anyone to break his heart. Temptation doesn't come from God because his nature is good. We're tempted because of our own sin nature. Um, so that's the second thing. The third thing is the way of sin leads to death. So the way of sin leads to death. James says each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it's full grown gives birth to death. Can you see the downward uh, spiral in these two verses? So there's desire, sin 
and death. And that's the pattern of sin. When I was little, uh, my mum read me book after book from uh, the Jungle Doctor series. Um, It was the stories of a missionary doctor, a guy called Paul White in Zambia. I see a few faces of recognition there. Um, There was always adventures there. There was lots of bugs and animals and, and craziness and lessons to be learned from the locals, actually, as well as from the doctor. Um, and one of the stories that stayed with me is this one. Perembi the hunter once came across a very young leopard kitten. And it was very cute. Cue the picture of the leopard kitten. And let's see how cute we, we see it. <laughs> Perfectly on cue. I like it. I like it. Um, so Perembi takes this baby leopard cub home as a pet for his children. And the village chief is not happy at all. He warns that little leopards become big leopards and big leopards kill. But Perembi just ignores the advice saying, no, he's going to teach this leopard differently. And they bring it up in milk and other food and the leopard grows into adulthood. And it's one of the family. It plays with the children um, and, and it's kind to everybody. Until one day, Perembi's eldest son grazes his knee and the leopard comes over to lick it. And it tastes blood. And it kills the child and it kills Perembi. And the village elder himself is injured in in the fight to to, to kill this, this leopard. Little leopards become big leopards. And big leopards kill. The little leopard of desire might come. And it might seem okay. It's okay to want that thing. Whatever it is, it might be a a thing. It could be bling. It could be popularity. It could be health. It might even be a thing that's good. But desire really begins to build up. And desire can conceive and give way to sin. And it's not necessarily doing something wrong. Not necessarily an action. The Sermon on the Mount blows me away because Jesus talks so much about our attitudes, what's in our heart. And sin leads to death. Jesus, referring to the devil, says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy Sin can rob us of our joy and our peace. It can hurt us physically as well as mentally as well as emotionally and of course spiritually. And just like the story of the leopard cub, sin can hurt other people too. It's not just the person who sins that that suffers. It can be those around us. That's the destructive nature of sin. Little leopards become big leopards and big leopards kill So the way of sin leads to death. The fourth thing I want to say is temptation needs feeding. Temptation can come within us and it can also come from the evil one. Notice it, it's it's the image there of bait. Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. It's that, that image that James is using. Sin can look good sometimes. Or sometimes we feel we're justified in that negative attitude, in that harsh tone, in that impatience, in why I just can't take Sabbath or why I shouldn't give generously. And it takes time for that idea to gestate. It takes time for desire to become a decision. 
Anyone seen Lord of the Rings? Quite a few people. So one of the characters uh, was originally a hobbit called Smegol. And on his birthday one year, he went fishing with his cousin who found a ring after falling into the fishing pond. And Smegol was consumed with desire for that ring, which was the ring. Actually, if we go to the next one, that's, that's him with the ring. And he ended up strangling his cousin to get it. He was banished from his community for this act. And over the coming years and decades and maybe even centuries, his desire for the ring reduces him to the pitiful wretch that we call Gollum. And we can see a picture of Gollum. And the ring is incredibly destructive. It makes him always hungry, but never satisfied. It has power over him. And much of his time in the Lord of the Rings, he's obsessed with the ring, wanting it back. He calls it his precious. I'll not try the impression. Um, and, and despite its destructive nature, and the finale has the protagonist, Frodo Baggins, succeed in his quest to destroy the ring by throwing it into the fires of Mount Doom. But Gollum has kind of snuck up and he runs and jumps to catch the ring and falls to his death in the fiery lakes. I think we've just about, oh, it's an animated picture. Wow. Fantastic. It's such a vivid picture, I think, of sinful desire and its effects when we feed it. And that's why we need time with God. To break the power of desire. To punctuate the cycle of feeding desire. And just as I was praying about this morning, I feel, I kind of asked, Lord, what's, what's the main thrust of what you want me to say? And I think it's this. I've been reading about silence and solitude. I know it's an area I need to work on. You know, taking time out daily to stand before God. To let the Holy Spirit examine me. Not just a quick verse and a a quick shot up prayer. But actually just soaking in his presence. The psalmist says, search me God and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Psalm 139. So we should let God examine us. But we should also examine ourselves. The psalmist in Psalm 4 says, Tremble and do not sin. When you're on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. So the psalmist is looking at that time of the day when you're on your bed, when it's quiet, when there's no demands on you, when the hustle and bustle of life isn't around. To search your heart and be silent. Time out with God can arrest the gestation of temptation. I wonder if King David had spent some quality time with God after noticing Bathsheba washing on the roof. Would have inquired about her. If he'd taken time to search his heart after he found out she was married, would he have sent for her? If he maybe went on a retreat with the Lord, after he'd slept with Bathsheba, would he have tried to cover up his sin and ended up murdering Bathsheba's husband? I strongly suspect the Holy Spirit might just have whispered to him, might have convicted him of his sin and pointed him to repentance a different way, a better way. If Adam and Eve had talked with God after the serpent had planted that idea in their head, did God really say You shouldn't eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. 
If they'd spent some time with God after that, they could have asked God about it. They could have received a fresh revelation of God's love for them, his protection of them, and his goodness to them. Friends, if we want to avoid temptation, it is so important that we regularly connect with Father God. The evil one will do anything to stop this. He will distract us. He will make us too busy. He will make us too tired. He will give us so many excuses. But if Jesus himself needed to take time out of his busy schedule, and remember he had only three years of ministry on this earth, and a lot to do, and so many demands, but if he needed to take time out to be with Father, then we certainly do. So I just want to bring this into land with the, the final three verses of our passage. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. God really is good. And we can be secure in our identity as his children. Oscar Wilde said, I can resist anything except temptation. If we want to resist temptation, we need to know that God is good, that he loves us, that he's our father, that he gives us good gifts. Alex Matoyer on his, in his commentary on James says, there is no way in which we might come to him in our need and find that he is unwilling, unable or unavailable. God is always willing. He's always able. He's always available. He doesn't change. No matter what we do, his love pursues us. Like in the story of the prodigal son, his mercy and his grace are available to us. He's our rock in times of trouble. We need to know he's good. And we need to know that we're his children. He chose to give us birth. He's chosen us. Isn't that amazing? He's breathed life into us. He's given us a new start. High through the word of truth, the gospel of Jesus. And why? Well, James tells us that we have a great purpose. That we might be a kind of first fruits of all he's created. What does he mean by this? Well, James is drawing in the Old Testament picture and practice of giving the first of the crop to God. The first fruits were especially the Lord's, set apart from the rest of the crop. God is saying that we're special and that we're his. And the first fruits were also the best of the crop, set apart as holy to God. We are to be set apart as holy for God. And finally, the offering of first fruits was an annual reminder to the people of Israel that God keeps his promises to his people, bringing them out of slavery, giving them a homeland and providing for them. God has brought us to new birth to demonstrate to a world around us that he keeps his promises. We, his first fruits, are special to him and we're set aside as holy. So let's commit to resisting temptation. 
Frank the Yank also embedded at James 4 verse 7 in my memory. Submit, resist, and he'll flee. It says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit, resist, and he'll flee. And I was sharing with the uh, Wednesday group earlier in the week, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 57, it says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. So let's commit to resist temptation. Let's understand what temptation leads to. It leads to sin and death. Let's understand that God is good, that he loves us and gives us good gifts. Let's recognize that we're his children. We're precious and we're assigned to the world of God's faithfulness. And let's give ourselves the time and space. Let's prioritize that time. Let's guard that time to examine ourselves And let the Lord speak to us and interrupt the gestation of temptation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you've been speaking to us this morning. Thank you for the worship and just reminding us that you are at peace. Thank you for Nick's story. And reminding us that you bring breakthrough. That you pursue us. And when we release our ashes, you can turn them into beauty. And thank you for the, these pictures from James over the last two weeks. That whether trials come or temptation comes, that you stand with us. That you can help us through trials. You can walk with us through trials. And that you can give us the power to resist temptation and live a life that's pleasing to you. So would you take us out of here to live, to work to your praise and glory. May we be lights in the darkness. May we bring hope to a hurting world. In Jesus' name. Amen.